This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the 3-0 show on the Athletic Baseball Show. I'm Britt Giroli, filling in for Derek Van Riper, here with Nino Saris. We miss DVR very, very much. We are recording <laughs> the this The glue that holds us together. <laughs> he truly is. Uh, we are recording this on Wednesday, May 24th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at about 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I called Eno and said, <laughs> what are we, what are we doing? <laughs> Come on back. No, uh, we, we do have um, a good slate of topics. We're going to get into uh, the Yankees and, and kind of the surge that they, they've had lately. Garrett Cole, obviously a big part of what the Yankees have been able to do. We're going to get into Juan Soto, who had an emotional return to Washington, D.C., and has powered the Padres, who won their first back-to-back game since May 3rd to 5th. So are they starting to turn around? And we're going to get into the AL West, which looks like, maybe there's an opening for someone to finally dethrone the Houston Astros. We're going to get into the Texas Rangers, the Angels, everything else going on in that division, which is kind of oft overlooked. Um, So we're going to preview that a little bit later as well. But, you know, I want to start with the Yankees. Um, Obviously, Garrett Cole, Aaron Judge, going to be kind of the the big headliners in last night's win. Uh, Harrison Bader, though, did have the walk-off hit. They beat the Orioles in Really what's been kind of billed as a huge series for both teams. I mean, the Orioles, a huge surprise. And now we've got the Yankees who look as of late that they're starting to kind of put things together. And you kind of like the vibes that they've got. Garrett Cole um, reaches the 2,000 strikeout mark last night during his start. Um, What are you seeing right now that makes Cole so effective? I mean, outside of that one really clunker against the Rays, He's been absolutely on fire. Looks like he's unlocked something. Yeah, I thought it would be, you know, after talking to him in the spring, I thought it would be, you know, using the cutter a little bit more. uh, Because if you look at his history, uh, he has uh, given up more homers to lefties. And, you know, he's the guy that strikes guys out and gives up homers. You know, that's that's kind of been the only blemish on his on his record. He is using the cutter. He's using it 0.9% of the time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh, I can't attribute it to the cutter, but I can say that he has figured out some way so far of reducing the home runs. And, you know, maybe it means sometimes going for uh, soft contact instead of the strikeout. Um, you know, it's not obvious exactly how he's doing that. Maybe some curveball usage. Maybe it's uh, d- is due to the location of his pitches. Uh, but he's traded a few whiffs, uh, in fact, for... Uh, for avoiding those big homers, and it's been wonders for him. I actually think, uh, I don't know if this is a hot take, uh, I mean, I think it's him and, and Kevin Gossman right now are head-to-head for, for the sigh, and I, I think Garrett's uh, the favorite for it. So I think that, you know, his play has, has been good, but I don't think it's a big part of the turnaround, right? I mean, he's been good all year, and in fact, uh, they lost his start yesterday. I, I think it's been a little bit more... I think of a couple things. You you know, DVR always said, like, do we cover baseball the right way? You know, like, you know, do we are, are we too like breathless week to week? And, you know, when we first when we last talked about the Yankees, we want pointed out like, hey, they're still above 500. Like you know, they've had some injuries. They haven't played that well. They're still above 500. Now they're getting healthy. They figured out the bullpen a little bit and 
this is more like the Yankees we thought they'd be. Right? I, I don't I don't know that um, there was like a magic bullet for this. Right. And you're totally right. And it wasn't the best outing for him last night at all. He had to grind it out. Um, he did. He was pitching in game 278. Only Randy Johnson and Clayton Kershaw have reached 2,000 strikeouts faster. So the third fastest in history uh, to reach that 2,000 strikeout mark. I do wonder, you know, how many more pitchers we're going to see hit these kinds of things. And we talked about this a few weeks ago with Kenley Jansen. Uh, in the age of guys going five innings and, you know, guys' careers just not having, like, spanning decades that we saw, um, how many more guys do we see reach this mark? And, and especially the 3,000 strikeout mark. I mean, is that really kind of an extinct animal at this point in time to you, the 3,000? Yeah, I mean, if you just look over, you know, the last 10 seasons uh, in terms of, you know, how many uh, 200, uh, you know, 200 innings used to be a thing that people hit, you know. And if we just look over the last, uh, you know, 10 seasons about how many people have hit uh, 200 innings, um, we have last year uh you know the you know i think we had sandy alcantara with 228 um and uh maybe two or three more and um you know i you know we keep having fewer and fewer in fact i think one year we'll have zero people uh that throw 200 innings and if you have zero people throwing 200 innings how are you going to get to those big innings totals those big strikeout totals we'll have to think about how to vote for the hall of fame you know, when people aren't winning 300 games, when they aren't getting to 3,000 strikeouts. Um, and uh, that'll be an argument that'll be tons of fun and lots of fun on the internet. And we'll be <laughs> looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, to clarify, it wasn't made. It was Anthony Volpe who had the walk off yesterday um, in extra innings to take that first game against the Orioles. Um, when you look at this Yankees team, are they, I mean, the Rays got crushed, the 20 runs by Toronto yesterday, which I don't know how much you watched that game, you know, or saw the highlights of. Uh, I'm not saying that's going to happen every night, but we've talked a lot about pitching and injuries as it relates to the Rays. Um, is there still, in your mind, a division up for grabs here? Uh, especially when you look at how the Yankees are playing, um, the Orioles, who, you know, if they add just a starting pitcher or two, I think could really kind of become a legitimate threat here um do you see a lane where the yankees could take the ale still yeah I, I actually think the ale is probably uh probably up for grabs i mean you're talking about a three-game lead over the uh, over the orioles for the rays a five-game lead over the yankees and we're in the middle of may or the end of may i think there's still plenty of time for the yankees to get white hot and for the rays to frankly run out of arms i mean they're they kind of are going through that injury phase and Maybe Tyler Glass now gets healthy and maybe, you know, Drew Rasmussen gets healthy just in time. But there might be a, a two week period where they are bullpenning a lot and they're using openers and they're doing their best just to survive. And that'll be the time for the Orioles, Yankees and Blue Jays to catch up. So I do think that's, uh, you know, in their best interest. One thing that's, I think, been underrated about the Yankees surge in May um, is just uh, how good their bullpen has been. Um, in terms of wins of our replacement, it's only a top 10 bullpen, but uh, you look at something else, it's not, a, it's not a number I bring up a lot, but wins. Um, and the reason I bring it up, they had 12 bullpen wins in, in May, and uh, the, the second best is seven. So uh, they, wow. they, they really uh, have stood out when it comes to the bullpen. 
And that's important because, you know, they've had to have some shorter starts from guys like Johnny Brito and and, and some of the guys who who stepped in with with due to injury but it's also important because that's kind of what the Yankees brand is awesome bullpens and i think at the beginning of the season they were trying to figure out who was in their awesome bullpen of the year and who's who were going to be the studs in this bullpen clay holmes uh, may have lost the closer role i think he's going to get it back um, and then once Clay Holmes is back atop that, you've got Michael King as the, you know, the multiple inning stud that they've always had in that bullpen. Uh, Albert Abreu and Wandy Peralta are really good. Jimmy Cordero and Ron Marinaccio are stepping forward. This is a really good bullpen. I'm hoping Ian Hamilton is, is uh, the injury is not too bad. And he comes back into it. The bullpen is going to be super key for them. And uh, they've stepped up in May. And I think this is part of why. Uh, the, it's not just that it's good at the end. It's that, you know, I, I named a lot of names. It's a deeper bullpen than most people have. And I think that's a real strength of the Yankees. Yeah. And a good reminder too, like how much a good stretch can kind of elevate you. They've won 12 of 15, five in a row, eight and two over their last 10. They're 30 and 20 as we record this on Wednesday, third place in the American league East, which is a little crazy that they're in third place. Oh my God. What I think a they division. would. Exactly. I mean, the you know, they would pretty much be leading, um, not the West, but they would pretty much be leading almost every other division. Um, and it's, so it's, it's also kind of funny, it. if you look at the standings, the AL East sits above the AL Central in standings. And in, and you can actually, if you combine them, the AL Central would just start at the bottom of the AL East. Because <laughs> the yeah. Twins are 25 and 24, the Blue Jays are at the bottom at 26 and 23. So uh, if you combine them, it would just be the same that it is, except that no Central team would be going to the playoffs. Yeah, it's crazy. The whole thing is, you know, it really kind of magnified, I think, by by the schedule this year, all these teams that, you know, just kind of playing each other, you realize, hey, these teams that we thought weren't good, these divisions we thought were weak, are actually weak. Yeah. Um, so but let's so let's switch gears here and, and kind of get to to Juan Soto and another team that maybe kind of sort of might be at the beginning of a turnaround. Uh, before we jump into Soto, I want to tell you about the New York Times audio, which is a new iOS app for New York Times news subscribers. It's got our show plus other great podcasts from The Athletic. Uh, exclusive shows, narrated articles, and more. New York Times Audio. You can download it now at newyorktimes.com slash audio app. Um, let's get into Juan Soto. You know, we were talking off air a little bit. I was at the game last night. Um, not his return to D.C., but kind of his return to D.C. Because when they traded him, he came back like a week and a half later. Um, and it was just kind of weird. It was like, yeah, you can't really miss you yet because you weren't really gone <laughs> so this kind of felt like okay he has returned okay some time has passed and of course Mackenzie Gore uh San Diego's top pitching prospect at the time who they got in the Juan Soto trade started that game so it really felt like time to process everything uh Soto's first at bat he steps out doffs his helmet the crowd gave him an ovation um and then he goes out and plays like he used to play in DC so you know, are we seeing maybe some encouraging signs when it comes to Juan Soto at the plate? Yeah, and I think it's a triumph of just trusting your process over anything else. I was looking at his, his swing heat maps and looking at April versus May. He's almost doubled his uh, slugging percentage from April in May. 
Um, and I was wondering if he'd made a real big change. I mean, he is a high ball hitter with a flatter swing, um, and he's really selective. And I thought, what, what if he's been doing something uh, with uh, those low pitches? And he has not. He has been sticking to his guns. Uh, if you saw that home run yesterday, it was a high ball pitch. Um, he's been he's managed to be selective and drive some low pitches. He had a he had a lower in the zone homer this year, but in general his process hasn't changed. He's looking for you to miss high in the zone. That's when he's going to do damage. Uh, and you know I think it's uh, it's an interesting sort of lesson for young players. Uh, you know, there's a there's a just a real tight balance between trusting the process that got you there and making the adjustments that are going to keep you there. And I guess it's a little bit easier for someone like Juan Soto to say, I'm going to trust this process. You know, I've been I've been a pretty good player so far. Uh, his worst season, he was 43 percent better than league average with a stick. So uh, I think he's uh, he's trusting the process and and he's just having that nice stretch where. Pitchers are missing high, and he's he's making them he's punishing them for it. Yeah, it's so interesting because it seems like um, he's a guy who plays up to moments, and it was a little bit of a moment yesterday for him. Uh, he said before the game, he kind of called his shot to uh, their catching coach Henry Blanco. Was like, "You're going to homer." He's like, "Yeah, I am." Uh, and then of course he hits a home run. But um, you know, he was so good in DC and had really no prolonged stretches of slumping. And ever since he went to San Diego, we've seen like the, the more ebbs and flows. And, and he's been honest in this is the most he's ever struggled in his career playing. So you do wonder um, when, when you come out of that, does that make you a smarter hitter? Do you think like hitting your first real big slump and getting on the other side of it? I wonder how much that that helps them, that helps their confidence and psyche. You know, guys talk about hitting as, as an art form or, you know, someone, I had a hitting coach of another NL team tell me the other day, you know, it's, it's art. No one asks Picasso to redo a painting, mm -hmm. right? It's really hard to, to get into that groove. So getting out of it and finding your way back, uh, I'm wondering if that's something that they can kind of say, all right, I've, d I've done this before. Like it's a big step for them almost. Yeah. My old pal, David Lorilla uh, at Fangraphs, he has a, a standard interview question where he asks uh, hitters and pitchers, is it an art or a science? And, uh, and has them sort of kind of go through that process. I would say that uh, that you know, from a, a scientific uh, standpoint on on Soto, that uh, there is a chance that he learned something over this time. Which is, you know, if you have a flat bat path, you're good at high pitches, and that's sort of what he's what he's what he is normally. But uh, the best hitters are also able to have a vertical bat path on balls that are low in zone, right? If you think of, uh, you know, a lot of different hitters like Cody Bellinger over time or Kyle Schwarber over time, they've had the reverse where they've been able to golf pitches and haven't had that flat bat path to get the top pitches. The best hitters uh, develop pathways develop ways to hit both types of pitches and hopefully this stretch where fillers were pitchers were just filling up the bottom of the zone and he was struggling to do anything with those pitches hopefully that stretch you know i did see a nice homer on a, on a pitch that was uh away and and down not necessarily all the way down in the bottom corner but you know down uh he hit a homer off one of those recently so i'm wondering if maybe he did add that to his bag a little bit and he's convinced pitchers i can do some damage down there if you if you leave it over the heart of the plate 
Um, and if he just spends the rest of his life spitting on the pitch loan away, I think that's probably fine. Pitchers can't really hit loan away like over and over again. You know, it's much better yeah. than watching sort of Andrew Jones at the end of his career when he swung at everything low and away. And it was uh, you kind of shouting at the screen. So I think uh, I think there's it's an art and a science. I think the, the art is how to deal with the emotional emotionality of the ups and downs. Right. You know, because it is, it's such a long season. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a theme in our, in our podcast today, how long the season is, right? With the Yankees, you just had to chill out. And then with the Soto, he had to just figure out how to stay up when, when he was down, basically. Right. And it's so interesting because as I said, in the, the intro, the Padres, crazy that they haven't won back-to-back games since May 3rd to 5th. Uh, the offense here, they did win uh, the series finale against Boston. They scored seven runs. The offense looks pretty good last night. Very small sample size, but you do wonder, you know, are some of these guys who, listen, this team was built to be a team that wasn't a league average offense. Right now they're below league average in most of the categories. This team was built to be a top offense in baseball. You wonder if some of these guys are starting to come together here. Uh, Manny Machado still on the IL, probably won't come back Friday when he's eligible, but could be not long after that. He's, he's um, a crazy you know, person. I mean, that, that ankle injury that yeah. he had last year was a, would have put people on the IL for four weeks. Yeah, first time on the IL since 2014 for him. Um, he's a guy who, you know, I, I covered obviously in Baltimore the years he was there, and he just does not like to be hurt or sidelined. And, you know, people can say what they want about his hustle or his effort at times. To me, I'd rather have a guy who I know is going to play and play hurt and be on the field. Um, and once in a while, he's going to loaf it down first base to save his legs. It, I'm good with that. It's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting thing, though, because they'll play worse while they're hurt, right? But... Yes, but, yes, but Manny, but worse Manny. Yeah, Manny. exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot better than Brandon Dixon. Sorry, Brandon Dixon. Um, you know, yeah. but uh, uh, one some signs of hope. It, it's it's not necessarily there in the record, but if you look just at May, um, the uh, the San Diego bullpen is fifth in in WAR. Uh, the San Diego rotation uh, is seventh in and tied for six, basically. So. Uh, you know, top 10 uh, for both of those aspects. The bats aren't necessarily there yet. Uh, Park adjusted offense 19th uh, in May, but Soto's getting hot. Manny's going to come back. They're going to have the trio of Soto, Manny, Tatis together and rocking soon. And when they do, the the the, the staff has seen some, some signs of life. So I do think uh, this is another team. It's a little bit like uh, pre-Yankees where you're like, yeah, it hasn't been great so far. They are under 500, but they're not, you know, in sort of, uh, uh, you know, where the Cardinals were a couple of weeks ago, although they are close to where the Cardinals are now. Uh, but they could have a, that kind of Cardinals-esque run in them once they get everybody healthy again. They can win 8 out of 10 pretty quickly. If they win 8 out of 10, uh, they're back in the mix for the wild card. I think this is a wild card team, but it's also, you know, if you flash forward to the, to the postseason, would it be that crazy to be t- you know, previewing a series with uh, the Padres and another team where you're like, this Padres team could be dangerous. You're talking about the three headed monster in the lineup. You're talking about, you know, three good starters. You know, I, I think this is a team that can still make some noise. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and listen, Soto was on that 
Nationals team that went 18, 19 and 31 the year they won the World Series right now. They sit at 22 and 26, um, certainly have some ground to make up to to get to the Dodgers in Arizona. But I'm glad you mentioned that bullpen because I like low key didn't know how good they were. And then last night they gave up a run and they snapped like a 30 scoreless inning stretch. And I was like, whoa. That's a really long stretch for a bullpen, especially as we sit here in May. Um, so they have really, I think, pitched better than people expected, but they also weren't made to be a pitching staff that only needed one or two runs, right? They were built to kind of score hit more the ball than out that. of the ballpark, yeah. score a lot of runs, and the pitching staff wouldn't be a liability, but wouldn't be, you know, this isn't a Scherzer Verlander uh, kind of I would take that's the, built on the ace. Yeah, I would take the Yankees bullpen over this one, but at least with Hayter and Luis Garcia and Steven Wilson, I think they have really three really credible back-end guys. Nick Martinez has been really good for glue. Um, it gets it can get a little shaky after that sometimes, up and down. Uh, but Robert Suarez uh, may get healthy at some point and join this and, uh, and, and take that bullpen to another level. But it has been really solid, and uh, it's the lineup that you're kind of looking at in San Diego saying it's, it's your turn now. You guys, if you guys can get hot, we can, we can put a string together. Yeah, they're such an interesting team because I was saying to someone last night, the Mets were bad, and you kind of understood why because they were really hurt. The Padres before Manny went on the IL, it was like confounding almost. It was like, how are they, you know, like how are they not doing well? So uh, I think I'm less worried about them uh, long-term than I am the Mets because the Mets just have that age factor. And and right now, you know, they go with Tyler McGill yesterday to give Kodai Senga an extra day of rest. Uh, they may use that six-man rotation a little bit more. Um, I'm just not sure how that roster and team is going to hold up. But the Padres don't have that problem. They're just underperforming right now. Yeah, it's true. I mean, uh, you you, ha- you look at it, somebody who's struggling like Starling Marte, and uh, you can kind of yeah. see that um, you know he's uh, he's now a, a below average runner by sprint speed. Um, he's lost uh, some raw power, uh, so he's lost some athleticism. I, I think that uh, you know a lesser version of Starling Marte is still going to be a pretty good player. Um, but you know, there's always a chance he's 34. There's always a higher chance when you're looking at someone that age, uh, that they don't get it back together again. You know, there's just, you know, people's careers end at 34 and 35 and 36. And, you know, uh, you know, as much as Scherzer and Verlander have got, um, have bucked that trend at their age, we're starting to see a little bit of the, the kind of day-to-day injuries that do plague, you know, a 40 year old starter. Um, and, uh, I don't know that they necessarily have that starting pitching depth. I thought, I thought they put together enough, but, uh, I guess the, the, it's a a truism in baseball that you can't have enough starting pitching. (laughs) Yeah. The Rays say hi. Right. Exactly. I mean, everybody, you know, I, I, I pointed out that, uh, the Cardinals, I think would trade Tyler O'Neill for starting pitching, right? That I think that they, they're not in love with Tyler O'Neill. They're not playing him every day. They need starting pitching. And I pointed that out to a couple of analysts around the league and they said, yes, uh, I love Tyler O'Neill. I would love for my team to acquire Tyler O'Neill. We can't trade away our pitching. <laughs> we can't trade away our starting pitching. Like nobody has enough start. Any contender that wants Tyler O'Neill doesn't want to give up their starting pitching. So, uh, you know, th- that puts the Mets in a tough spot to, uh, you know, do they give up some of these young bats that are exciting and Beatty and Vientos and these guys? Oh, you know, they can't. They can't because they no, need their youth, they can't. right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how the Mets get out of this other than 
you know, continue to to cultivate those young players, bring them in the lineup and spend money on on pitching next year again, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's they can't get rid of those young kids. They've really sparked them. Francisco Alvarez, I mean, right now there's a little bit, there's going to be a mutiny if they send that guy down. <laughs> but there is a catching logjam coming soon. But he's literally done everything you want a young player to do. Um, and so you just can't in my opinion, kind of go with, you know, the incumbent catcher, the veterans, like at some point in time, you got to see what you have. And these young guys have performed really well. Yeah. I think they've been a bright spot. There's been some frustration them, with sure. Buck Showalter among the fandom uh, that yeah. they should play, that they should kind of do the youth movement fully play bet Brett Beatty every day, play Mark Vientos every day. Cause he's hit the ball really hard. Um, and, uh, but you know, given you have a roster full of veterans if you're playing Mark Vientos every day, somebody is not playing at all. You know, somebody yeah. who has a pretty big contract and has, you know, a lot of numbers on the back of their baseball card. I don't know, probably Eduardo Escobar, uh, but it might mean something for Mark Canna. It might mean fewer, less playing time yeah. for for Starling Marte. And, and, and these are really good players. So. I I feel for Buck Showalter actually right now. I think <laughs> I think it's a it's a it's a fully laden team with a lot of options and that's exciting but it also means managing a lot of different personalities and trying to work these young guys into the mix without hurting their development, you know. Yeah. Yeah, when I saw them when they were in DC recently, he had gotten a printout of Brett Beatty's like off days. <laughs> and he said that the biggest struggle with the minor league guys is they're used to having every Monday off ah. and they don't, they don't travel anymore. They like stay at one series, play five in a row, right. Yeah. Um, get their off day. So, you know, you kind of have to watch the load with these There's guys. There's even a been a, a trend um, with the top prospects to give them Monday off. Uh, we had this yesterday where Ellie, everyone thought Ellie De La Cruz, the Reds' top prospect, was coming up to the big leagues. And in fact, it was just a scheduled day off because if you give them Monday off, they get a couple days in a row off. And mm -hmm. uh, something that I learned uh, in my running training and something I learned this offseason uh, talking to Casey Mulholland at Connect Pro um, is that we actually, our bodies are, are, are to some extent on a 72-hour rest and recovery, uh, if you, especially when you're talking about peak, uh, peak work. So... Uh, I often violate that because my long run days are on Wednesday and I run again on Friday and I notice that I'm running fatigued on Friday. Uh, I'm running yeah. through fatigue. And so giving a guy a Monday off that gives them that 72 hours where, you know, they get the yeah. full rest cycle and they go back to work on Tuesday. I mean, maybe, maybe that's to show Walter's benefit. He can work Escobar in on the, on Beatty's days off. He can work some Vientos in. Um, you know, and, and work on that. But uh, I think it's gotta be a little bit hard also to come from the minor leagues where you're, you know, a star, Mark Vientos hitting 333 with 13 homers. Uh, everyone's talking to you about how you're, you know, you're going to be the next top prospect. Think of like Jordan Walker, you know, everywhere you go, you're winning home run derbies in the Arizona fall league and everyone wants to talk to you. And there's, you know, everybody's waiting for you after the game and, uh, then you come to the big leagues and nobody's talking. No one in the press is talking to you. <laughs> you have 14 <laughs> plate appearances in two weeks or whatever it is. And uh, and you're struggling to find every day at bat. So uh, it's a real jarring, uh, a jarring part of the experience. Um, and I also feel for Mark Vientos. Uh, but uh, this is a big market team and they had big market expectations. They're they're second in that division. 
um, and in it for the wild card race. So, uh, you know, sorry, Mark Vientos, like we're going to use you against lefties and <laughs> when it suits us, I guess, you know, totally. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's fascinating. That's going to be a really interesting team to watch. I think over the next month, whether they actually get it going or just kind of tread water, um, all season, but I feel like we don't give the AL West enough love. You brought this up in our quick harried version <laughs> of what we're going to actually talk about because uh, we don't have the nice bolted Google Doc that DVR always makes for us. Uh, but listen, the AL West, as it stands today on Wednesday, Texas 30-18. and 18. They have a two-game lead over the Houston Astros. The Angels are 27-23. and 23. Even Seattle, they won last night. They're back at 524 and 24, six games back. It's really four teams. And then poor Oakland, which is 10 and 40. One of the worst teams of like, all time. Like 10 and 40. Is there any other team that doesn't have 20 wins? Oh, Kansas City only has 15. That's still five wins. That's still five wins clear of the Athletics. The I Athletics know. have What's scored crazy? three and a half runs and have allowed seven plus runs. Like that pitching staff. I mean, oh, my goodness. That's a 200 winning percentage. You're right. The Royals at least have 300 winning percentage. <laughs> What's crazy about the Royals is, as we talked about, the Central so weak. The Royals are only 10 and a half games out. The A's 21 games back already as we sit here before Memorial Day. Yeah, I mean, they're 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 trending towards some of the worst uh, numbers of all time. They have the worst bullpen ERA of all time. They have, uh, you know... Allowing seven runs per game in this run environment may end up being one of the worst overall pitching staffs of all time. It's going to be one of the worst uh, run differentials of all time. It's uh, it's really sad, and how it how that figures into the whole uh, stadium thing upsets me as well. But because you know, I think a lot of people look at Oakland right now. They see this terrible team, worst team of all time, and they say, "Oh, it can't work in Oakland." And I think that was the whole plan. You know, the plan all all along is to make it look like it can't work there. They don't remember the years where Oakland was middle of the pack in attendance in 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 uh, in America, and uh, and you know they were still they they were drawing like they never drew like they never drew like the Yankees or anything like that just wasn't gonna be what's gonna was in the cards for them. But they drew and they had you know and they they sold out playoff games and you know they they had good fans and. Really good teams yeah. and uh, a history that seems to maybe going the wayside. There's some news out of Vegas that the entire package of tax uh, rebates and um, and this and that and the such, whatever, what what the entire package of what the state of Ve- uh, of Nevada will put together with the city of Vegas uh, is now getting over sort of 350, 400 million. And I think if they get over 350 million and they get all that approved, it hasn't been approved yet. So the legislature still has to approve it and they have to do it in the next two weeks. Uh, but if that gets approved, uh, I'm, I, I'm afraid that the, uh, the A's are gone. So I'm, I'm putting the A's chances of staying in Oakland down around 5% right now. This it's the lowest it's ever been for me. Yeah. Which is, I mean, but initially remember they said 500 million was what they were going to get. Like it just keeps kind of coming down and down and down. They're just looking for a reason to, to leave um, ownership. Is, yeah. But, because the number that, yeah. that Oakland was giving was around 300 plus million too. So 
it's not that big of a difference in, in packages. And I'm not sure Vegas, I, I wrote a piece about it last week. I'm not sure Vegas is actually the best option for baseball. It's immediately the smallest TV market. Yeah. It's a, it's an older uh, city. It's a small city. Uh, you know, there are transient city. Yeah, yeah. There are other cities that are growing, you know, it, you know, I did see some research too, and I didn't put this in the piece, but you know, team quality is one of the biggest drivers of attendance. That makes sense. Who wants to go see a bad team? Right. But that that's that gets thrown on its head a little bit when you talk about okay, well we're gonna have tourists come, but do you do you as a tourist want to go see your team beat up on a bad team? Like you're like mm-hmm. I gotta go see the Cubs beat up on the A's in Vegas. No, I think the team I think the team quality of both teams matters a little bit. Um, yeah. so, you know, I, I, yeah. I, I'm a little bit skeptical. I may be wrong. We'll see in the long run. It seems like they're headed that way, but I'm a little skeptical that you can build a team in baseball on, on tourist attendance. Right. Unless this, the stadium is some crazy thing where guess, like, people Wrigley, feel like they have to go see Fenway, this. Right. Yeah. But that takes time. What new stadium has become like a must see other than the fact that it's new? I feel like Camden Yards was the last people, stadium. And that's 25 years old where people were like, I got to go to Camden Yards. But nobody's um, flying to Texas to like go to that thing. <laughs> the, the, no. Right now, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Honestly, it seems like they just built a stadium. That, that's um, what I'm saying. The, like know, that's a new stadium. The stadium wasn't that old. Yes. Oh, you mean the so, old one? Yeah. But like the new one, yeah, like I don't think people... Old are like, I need to go to Dallas to, to, you know, to see that stadium. So maybe, you know, no. in the surrounding areas around Texas, but I'm talking about like flying, you know, no one's flying there yeah. to, to, to see that new stadium. So no, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It takes a little while to build the gravitas to be like a Wrigley. You know what I mean? Like that's, you almost feel like you're, yeah. you're going to a museum, right? <laughs> like, yeah, totally. It's I not mean, even that nice yes. of a park when you're in it. I mean, the, the, the bathrooms are horrid. The food is pretty bad. The beer is pretty bad. It's like, it's, it's not the greatest park, but it is Wrigley. <laughs> yes, it's the mystique. But Texas does have the team playing That's really right. well going going for them right now. I mean, Nathan Evaldi coming off of a, a complete game. He's been uh, terrific. That cutter has been such a, a big piece of what he's been able to do. Marcus Simeon, they're 7-3 and three over their last 10 games. Bruce Bochy, I think, has added, and we talked about this on the show before, like that element of accountability. Um, he's such a, a calming, respected baseball presence. Having him back in the game, I think, Certainly doesn't hurt. You know, you're not going to get outmanaged. Um, and they have so far been able to kind of withstand the Astros who are quietly doing Astros things. I think they're eight and two over their last, uh, yeah, eight and two over their last 10, two games back, kind of, you know, quietly in the distance. You can hear the hoof beats. It's always the Astros. But I like what Texas is doing. Do you, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting situation here where, you know, these are these are two really good teams. Uh, and they're 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 hitting on all cylinders. The Rangers have run eight out of twelve, uh, and the Ra- Astros are eleven out of thirteen. So it's you know like they're both uh, they're both winning right now. They both kind of give you that sense of like, ooh, this could go down to the end. I think if you you know go on uh, projections or whatever, um, you know they they kind of the projections say the Astros will catch the Rangers ninety one wins to ninety. Astros Rangers wow. uh with the this might be the coolest division race Angels no? 84 like and Mariners 83 that seems far off but you know the Mariners have had some pretty legendary streaks and uh 
the Angels are just waiting for, you know, now they have some some younger guys on that team. Like if Zach Neto ever just got flaming hot, that does change, you know, the change the the dynamics of that lineup a little bit. So there are some younger players in place in in Anaheim that could uh, that could get hot and change things. But yeah, I think Astros Rangers might actually come down to it. And it's you know, one thing I will say about the Rangers is. They've had a, a really good, uh, you know, a rotation in May, uh, the fifth best rotation by by wins of a replacement, but they've done it without strikeouts. And uh, if you look at the strikeout rates for Nathan Eovaldi, Dane Dunning, John Gray, Martin Perez, uh, four out of their top five uh, starters in May, they're all well below average. And I just, I don't know if that's going to uh, catch them at, at all. Um they are guys where I like, you know, various aspects of their stuff. John Gray kind of has like two sliders that he's working. Martin Perez has that that great changeup, but um, you know, there there could be uh, some catch up. And I just wonder if you know, here's a name you might not have heard a while, but he is actually sort of killing it right now. Jack Leiter could get it together and be like this big stuff. I don't know if he'd be a multiple inning reliever guy or if he just steps into that rotation, but Jack Leiter is starting to put together some special numbers in the minor leagues with uh, just really good stuff, not great command. So as that command improves, they might actually have something the Astros don't have, which is the Astros are out of arms. The Astros are out of arms. I think that there's, they don't really, you know, we were looking at their, their prospect arms. They don't really have a prospect arm that can step in right now. They, if there's another injury, I think the the cupboard is starting to be bare in, in Houston. Yeah, it's a great point. If you look at the Rangers and you look at their top prospects and you look at the ETA estimated, there's a lot of 2023s and 2024s. And I think Texas you know, this they kind of planned for this, right? Mm-hmm. They had the years where they were terrible. They had the World Series runs. Then they had the years where they were terrible. And then, you know, two winters ago, they go out and they spend the money and they get Simeon and they get Seeger. And, and, you know, this winter, obviously, they get DeGrom and they start kind of saying, all right, this is it. This is the window. And I think the window is just starting to open for the Texas Rangers because you mentioned uh, – lighter he's their number four prospect they they think next year right 2024 but you look through this list and you've got owen white and you know you've got cole Wynn, and you've got guys um who mark church who are on this list zach kent who could be helping this rangers team very soon right who i think you look at the astros and you're right it's been decimated because the astros have been good too the astros haven't been in rebuild mode the window they for the also- astros has been open right they also they got just... dinged a bunch of picks exactly so you know little shenanigans yeah <laughs> you may have heard yeah. you may have heard about yeah. that um, but it's just fascinating are we seeing kind of the power pendulum shift a little and i also think last year remember everyone was on the angels bandwagon like this is gonna be the year and then they were terrible again and now i feel like they're actually pretty good mm-hmm. but nobody is is talking about them minus when otani plays and it's like Oh, best thing that's ever been done since babe. Like he's always breaking some kind of record. <laughs> uh, I just saw him start about a week ago in Baltimore, but it seems like the angels are, you know, finally kind of putting it together here a little bit. Anthony Rendon heard again, but you know, that's just kind of been the case for them since they, they signed him. They look like a, a more cohesive unit than they have 
um, in years past. I think they've always had the talent, but you'd look at them and they'd be kind of like middling under 500. Uh, you know, they have a legitimate chance. They're one hot week away from being in this mix too. So it's a really strong division. And you mentioned Seattle. I mean, I feel like every time I watch Seattle now, Jared Kelnick or Cal Rayleigh do something, right? It's just... And Julio uh, Rodriguez has been it, has been cold and he's starting, yes. to, he's starting to percolate. So... You know, if you do have, if you can put together a three-headed monster in that lineup, uh, they've always had the pitching. I feel like, um, and and so you know, that's 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 all the Mariners need to do is is kind of put together a lineup. While the Angels, all they need to do is put together a staff. Right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. you know, you've got two kind of flawed teams behind. I think the Rangers and Astros are best, but I I like your point about. Uh, sort of the culmination of the uh, of the prospect list in in Texas and what that's producing for them. Whereas, you know, I'm looking right now at the Fangraphs uh, Astros prospect list and, you know, 45, a 45 future value player is considered someone that um, could be a regular. And uh, they, Hunter Brown's in the major leagues. Uh, so, and, and Yanier Diaz is, is right there. Other than that, they don't have, uh, anybody that's, uh, 45 or higher, um, that is, you know, scheduled to hit the big leagues, uh, this year. Um, and, uh, Texas on the other hand, uh, has, uh, Jack Leiter, uh, Owen White and whatever you think of them, uh, Cole Wynn, not all of them are doing great. Um, but, uh, the thing with top prospects that are close, even Evan Carter, uh, could come up this year and play, uh, outfield for them. Um, uh, they've got Brock Porter. So they've got a bunch of 45s and 45 pluses that are right there ready to help. And even if they aren't, um, right now looking great, top prospects, they're close to the big leagues. What if they start throwing a cutter, you know, or, uh, you know, start spitting on pitches low and away. Like they're sometimes one little tweak away from being in the major leagues and they at least will offer some help if someone gets hurt. So yeah, the, the Rangers have the depth. The Astros still have their star power. You you saw like Jordan Alvarez just going ham. What he, he hit like a, a grand slam and a three run homer, a two run homer in one game. And uh, yeah, he's still maybe the best or second best hitter in baseball. They still have really good stars there. Jose Altuve is getting healthy. So, you yeah. know, that they're they're going to be a formidable team. But uh, in a way, if, if the AL West has depth, uh, the Rangers have that depth that may be what, what it takes them to to uh, to win it this year. Yeah, I don't see anything about the Rangers start that like, oh, is a mirage, right? Like certainly they could dip, they could have certain certain areas go, but nothing about this jumps out to me as like, uh, oh, we're being fooled here by the Rangers. They're playing over their skis. You look at the peripherals and, and they look good. I mean, this team is good on paper and they're playing well. So as you mentioned, the Astros are coming. I think is it June for Altuve, they said? Is kind of the, the target. So when he comes back, he's a guy who really seems to be the heart and soul of that team. Um, they're going to probably stay right on the heels of Texas. And that's going to be, I feel like nobody talks about this division as much on the national scale, but you're right. Look at those projections. This could really come down to a game or two. This could come down to a hot week or two. Well, would it surprise you at all if Seattle sneaks in? Oh, he is he's back. back, but he's just, he's not who he is. And I do, I do have one little, one little thing, one little thing on Texas. Here we go. 28th best 
bullpen in May? I don't know. I don't know if this is the bullpen that takes them all the way there. I think they need to trade for a bull- for a reliever. Right. That's the easiest thing to upgrade. It is. really is. It's the thing that everybody does every season in season. Because all the... Yes, because all the losing teams say you can have our reliever. We Especially don't ones them, right? that are they... not, you know, under contract for next year. Yes. So if they had a hole of starting pitching, right? Like, I think it's going to be tougher for the Orioles to upgrade. They have, that's a more expensive Because they upgrade. need rotation help. Yeah. Yes. And like, so if the Rangers say, hey, let's roll the dice, let's get a reliever or two, it's not going to wreck the rebuild mm-hmm. if those guys don't do it or if they miss the postseason, right? They're still kind of at the beginning of their window. Um, whereas... If you're going out and getting starting pitching, that's going to cost you. Like you said, you talk to other people. It's going to cost you a lot. So you really have to feel like this is it. We're pushing our chips to the middle of the table. Now, the Orioles have the prospects. They definitely have the hitting prospects to make a move. But, you know, you got to be careful with who you trade and how much you trade and, and kind of like, do you believe in this team? You do you believe give, that like, for real? What if you give up Joey Ortiz? You know, for a starting pitcher and Joey Ortiz is someone's starting shortstop, you know, for the next six years, you'd, you'd be kicking yourself a little bit. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. But like I said, I mean, would you be surprised at all if Seattle ends up being a wild card team, especially if, if Rodriguez really gets hot? I mean, they're only 500 right now. It just takes a hot week to really kind of catapult yourself back in, in many of these division races. I kind of feel like I don't know if this is a hot take or all, but like. I mean, it seems supported by data and what we're seeing right now. And it doesn't, I don't think it's all recency, but I kind of feel like the East and the West will get all of the, the, the uh, wild cards in both leagues. That seems pretty fair. I, I don't think that's a hot take. Yeah. I mean, it seems I think that's a good take. measured, <laughs> but uh, I think that's a pretty good take, but it also yeah. means that I think that those divisions, those divisions will have juice because you do want to win your division. It is still better to win your division for the playoffs. Yeah. And so you're going to have a lot of good teams fighting the Dodgers, the Braves, the Rays, and you know Rangers mm-hmm. and Astros in those four divisions. So it's not just going to be, you know, I don't think it's just going to be boring kind of like wild card, you know, up and down. I think they're, I think they, they think in the Rangers, in the D-backs and Padres, in the Mets and the Phillies, uh, if they get hot, and then in all of the AL East, you have legitimate contenders for the division title. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, last year we sat here and lots of people thought that the NL East was over, right? And then the Mets had it. And then the Mets didn't really collapse so much as the Braves went on this historic run. And so you're looking at this, and a lot of playoff teams have struggled out of the gate. A lot of playoff teams last year, this year, have struggled out of the gate. Who do you do? You see a team that you're like, all right, they could be last year's Atlanta. They could go on this crazy run and just kind of flip what we think about them before we get to the end of June. I think the Padres, Mariners, and Phillies have aspects to them. I guess the Yankees, too, if you're like, you know. If you're talking about, eh. I mean, they're already 30 and 20, right? So it seems kind of unfair. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. taking the Phillies, the Padres and the Mariners are combined, you know, four, six games under 500, eight games under 500. So that's those those trio. I could see I could see somebody coming out of that because you're talking about teams that are pretty quality and just need to have a little bit go right. And, you know, in some essence, could get some healthy impact players back and. 
you know, so there's uh, there's just some things that need to go right. And I don't think either any of those three teams, the Mariners, Padres or Phillies, none of them have had their quote unquote hot streak yet. You know what I mean? They haven't mm-hmm. even like yeah. every team has like just a stupid. We just won eight out of ten and nobody knows why, you know, <laughs> kind of time. And yeah. I don't think those three have had that. You know, you kind of luck into one of those at least. And if they luck into one of those soon, that kind of changes the dynamics of their division. That's a great point. And honestly, we didn't talk about Philly much, but Trey Turner, probably in the worst slump of his career, you know, he admitted the other day, like, I suck. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if he gets going, I think that could obviously Bryce Harper and his return from Tommy John so quickly, um, having him just in the lineup has been good for them. But Trey Turner, to me, if he starts hitting like he can hit, like you saw in the WBC and just in seasons past, he can really change what the Phillies can do, I think. Yeah, I've got a, a little bit more in-depth on him tomorrow uh, coming on the on the page of The Athletic. But uh, the TLDR uh, for you is uh, players that switch teams uh, press. Uh, you can actually see it in the numbers. Swi- players that switch teams chase pitches outside the zone and swing more with their new team. Uh, the good news is they usually uh, regress to their career norms. So, I mean, you listen to a guy say, like, I suck, right? Like, he's pressing. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a guy who's like, I want to show everybody that I'm worth all this money. And, like, I'm the, yeah. you know, I'm not just, like, a silly bust that, like, we just spent all this money on. So, like, uh, I do think that uh, he'll settle down. He'll chase less. He'll strike out less. He's one of the top five increasers in strikeout rate from last year to this year. And that's just not something that... You think of a Trey Turner, he's like, Turner makes contact, you know? He's not a guy who strikes yeah. out 28% of the time. He's never done anything close to that. So I I, I kind of think he's going to get it back together. Interesting. Well, I will look for that. And if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can read Eno's story at theathletic.com slash MLB. If you don't, you can get yourself a subscription, theathletic.com. You can read all of Eno's articles. You can read all of my articles. Um, all kinds of good stuff on there. Ken Rosenthal, Jason Stark, you really can't beat it um, at all. Well, you know, we did it. We made it the entire podcast. Uh, DVR, come even back. The, first take. <laughs> the DVR, please come back. Uh, <laughs> he will be with us. The trio will be back. The band will be back together next week for this. But thank you all for listening to the 3-0 show on the Athletic Baseball Show. We hope you have a great rest of your week. You've always got the green light here. Green light 3-0 and she's gone!